this episode of the Positive Media Diet Podcast, we're going to be talking about vitamin D and how it might affect babies during pregnancy. China reducing their carbon dioxide emissions by 5%. Google's self-driving robot cars. Nonprofit grocery stores. Basic income and what it might mean for all of us. Nebraska getting rid of the death penalty. And how Holland is one of the happiest places, possibly because they have a lot of people who work part-time and get lots of exercise. All on the Positive Media Diet Podcast. I'm Wendy Fuller. A new study published in the journal Epidemiology shows that vitamin D might affect babies. How much vitamin D a mother has in her system during pregnancy may have some effect on whether or not her child develops ADHD later in life. We know vitamin D is important for many different things, not least uh, sleep, mental well-being, and possibly there are other aspects of vitamin D that are really important. So it isn't actually that surprising to discover that it might have something to do with whether or not children develop ADHD. In this study, the researchers looked at 1,600 mother and child pairs, and they measured how much vitamin D the mothers had during pregnancy. Later, when the children were four and five years old, they found that the children who had been diagnosed as ADHD had mothers who had lower concentrations of vitamin D in their system. And they found that the number of ADHD-like symptoms in children decreased if the mother's vitamin D levels increased. This is actually pretty great news. It means that there might be a simple solution for avoiding ADHD in children. And in general, it's a pretty good idea to be taking vitamin D anyway. They, they do say that most of us are vitamin D deficient, that we're not getting enough sunshine, which is how our bodies produce vitamin D, and that we can take supplements. The one that I take is just safflower oil in a little gel capsule. Recently, there was another study that said that the guidelines recommended by the FDA, I believe it is, for our recommended daily dose is actually off by a factor of 10. So instead of 600 IUs, I don't know what that measurement means, but instead of 600 IUs, we actually should be taking 6,000 IUs a day. So for me, that's just three little gel caplets that I take every day. For myself, I have noticed that there are definitely some advantages to taking it. Uh, I suffer from seasonal effectiveness disorder, and when I'm taking vitamin D, I notice the effects much, much less. It, in general, seems to help my overall mood. I don't get quite as down as I otherwise would in the winter. And again, it really wouldn't surprise me if vitamin D is somehow linked to seasonal affectiveness disorder, though I haven't seen any studies that talk about that. Vitamin D, a simple solution, potentially, to avoiding ADHD-like symptoms in children. And just one more reason why taking vitamin D is a good idea. Our third story takes us to California, where Google has built robot cars that drive themselves. 
They've been testing regular cars with self-driving modules for a while, but they've actually purpose-built some robot cars, and they're testing them on roads in California. I am so excited about this. I cannot wait for our self-driving car future. If I could hop in a car and just look out the window and not have to worry about anything except getting to my destination or, you know, looking at the trees going by or watching the kids and the dogs as they stream by. Oh, I'd be so happy. I just would remove a lot of the stress from commuting. Also, the roads would be incredibly safe. We would no longer have human-caused accidents. And apparently the accidents that the self-driving cars have been in so far were all human error. So that's good news, that they're safe enough that they're not even getting into accidents. At the moment, they're only testing them at about 25 miles an hour, uh, which is fine. I mean, that's what most residential streets should be doing anyway. So these aren't yet ready for the highway. But eventually they're going to be, and they're not even going to have steering wheels. This next step in testing them is a bit tricky because it's actually you know, on the road with other vehicles. They're not going to react the way possibly other humans would expect them to react. So it could be tricky trying to figure out how to navigate human and robot traffic uh, for a while until you know legislation goes through saying nobody can drive their own cars anymore, which I think probably scares some people, but I'm so looking forward to it because the number of fatalities are just gonna drop, just drop. That's exciting. So yay, robot cars. fourth story takes us to Dorchester, Massachusetts, where they have opened a new grocery store. It's a nonprofit grocery store called Daily Table, which is actually started by one of Trader Joe's uh, ex-presidents. And the whole point is to serve healthy, affordable food to low-income communities. So they're actually going to sell food at cost or very close to cost, so that low-income individuals will have the ability to buy healthy food, which they otherwise would not be able to afford. Their prices are gonna be significantly lower than other grocery stores because they're not trying to make a profit and they're getting a lot of their produce from other sources, supermarkets, farmers, manufacturers, food distributors, etc., who are willing to donate rather than have the food go to waste. So far, they haven't had to sell any food that's past its manufacturer's sell-by date. However, that is part of the plan eventually to keep costs down. Manufacturers' sell-by dates don't actually relate to whether or not the food has gone bad. It's more an inventory-keeping measure that uh, manufacturers use as an indication of whether or not something needs to be rotated off the shelves. This is excellent because it means that food that would otherwise go to landfills, uh, not even to compost piles, but to landfills, will end up on people's tables. But not food that's spoiled or has actually gone bad. This is food that gets tossed simply because it's reached its sell-by date. That doesn't actually mean that it's gone bad. They have partnered with the Greater Boston Food Bank to be able to provide products that uh, the agency has acquired. And it's a better option than a food bank for a lot of people because there's a stigma attached to visiting food banks where this is a grocery store. You're purchasing food, but it is at a significant discount. It is going to be a membership-based store. So 
not everyone is going to be able to shop there. Um, they are limiting it to the people in a particular zip code at this point in time in order to ensure that the people who need the food are the ones who are buying the food. There are almost 50 million people in the United States who are what's called food insecure, which means they're working, but they can't actually afford food, certainly not healthy food. So nonprofit grocery stores, should they start to sweep the country, would be a fantastic way for individuals to be able to eat healthy food at prices that they can afford and to keep otherwise good food from going to waste. Something like 40% of the food produced in the United States is wasted every year. That's a travesty. So nonprofit grocery stores are great. They hook people up with food that would otherwise go to waste. So let's hope that nonprofit grocery stores become a staple of every neighborhood. That's a wonderful future to imagine, don't you think? story has to do with a concept called basic income. This is where every person, man, woman, and child, receives a certain amount of money every month just for existing. The question is, how do we pay for it? Well, I don't think the question is actually that difficult. I think it would be fairly simple, in my opinion, to divert funds from, say, military defense to just supporting the population. But that's me, and that concept is pretty much a no-go in terms of our current um, congressional ideologies. However, there are some people who are still working toward this goal, uh, some activists, and what they've decided to do in the short term is to crowdfund their own basic income. So they have turned to you know, Kickstarter uh, in order to make $1,000 a month so that they can continue to work for the cause of basic income for everyone. So there's debate about how to pay for this. Uh, some libertarians think it should all be private sector. Some other individuals, myself included, feel that it really should be a governmental responsibility. And the reason why basic income is such a fantastic idea is that it would allow people to make choices about their lives, to take chances on different avenues of how they spend their time. For instance, say I made basic income, I would absolutely be thrilled that my rent and my food might be covered. And then I could focus on all sorts of creative endeavors. I might continue this podcast thing. I might become a journalist. I might, I don't know. I don't even know what I would do. But just the possibility of, of not having to stick with any particular job because of needing to pay bills would free up a lot of people. There are a lot of people who have their jobs, they're just jobs, and they have their jobs because it pays the bills. But imagine if you had basic income and the government said, you know what, why don't you go try doing what you love and we'll support you. You know, this sounds like something that could happen now. So right now you have a job, you don't love it, you don't have to love it, but it pays the bills. In the future though, something like 47% of current jobs are going to be made redundant, as the British call it. Basically, people are going to lose their jobs because they'll be done by computers or robots. That's a scary prospect, and this is going to happen within the next 20 years. So half of all jobs are likely to be gone, or at least won't be employing humans, within the next two decades. 
that's when something like basic income starts to make a lot of sense because how it's not like our population is going to suddenly disappear. How is, are all those people going to support themselves? The answer is they're not going to be supporting themselves. There's not going to be enough employment for everyone to do that, potentially, unless a lot of different kinds of jobs are created. And, you know, perhaps if we do decide to do something like basic income, all those people will be very creative and find different ways for supporting themselves or contributing to society. And maybe automation will allow us to make a transition to a post-capitalist society. That's sort of wishful thinking, perhaps. But basic income might let something like that happen. Or the future might be a little bit bleaker. There just might be a ton of unemployed poor people and very few very wealthy individuals who own all the robots. That's not the future I'm looking forward to. I think we can make the other one happen. Our sixth story takes us to Nebraska, where they have just become the 19th U.S. state to abolish the death penalty. They haven't actually killed anyone since 1997, uh, but now they've made it official. They are no longer going to execute prisoners. It just seems that this is the way our country is leaning, which is wonderful. It's about time. Not least because the drug companies have refused to keep manufacturing the lethal injection drugs. There have been some high-profile cases where certain states were sourcing these drugs from who knows where, and the individuals that are being executed that way were apparently dying gruesome deaths, which is against the Constitution. <laughs> no cruel or unusual punishment. So in good conscience, we can't really continue executing people. I mean, besides the fact that it's barbaric and that only a few countries in the entire world still practice capital punishment. Nebraska, thank you for doing the right thing. story takes us to the Netherlands, where they consistently rank as one of the happiest countries in the world. They're currently ranked fourth for happiness by the Sustainable Development Solutions Network. One of the reasons why the Netherlands is one of the happiest countries is that a very large percentage of their population only works part-time, and they get a lot more exercise than a lot of other countries. In the Netherlands, you can live on a single salary. It is not necessary for both people in a marriage to work. And so they don't. Uh, apparently 76% of women work part-time and 26% of men work part-time. The only problem I have with this is the gender disparity, but that can be perhaps explained by women staying home with children. The Dutch aren't particularly known as a gender and equal society. My experience having been in the Netherlands several times is that they're fairly egalitarian. There doesn't seem to be much of a macho culture or anything. However, they do believe in some traditional gender roles with stay-at-home mothers. I think their happiness is probably linked to not being stressed out because they have to work all the time to make enough money to survive, having enough time to spend with their families, having the freedom to spend their time as they need to. If you're not working 40 hours a week, that leaves a lot of time that you can do things that need to be done, which can lead to happiness. <laughs> I know that in the US, working a 40 hour week is pretty unusual. Most people work significantly more than that. And 
still don't get paid enough that they can support themselves, or at least not comfortably. If we were able to also work part-time and support ourselves on a single income, and I mean, it used to be women didn't work because they weren't allowed to work. That's not the case in the Netherlands. Women are allowed to work, but they're choosing not to because they're choosing to focus on other things because the economic situation allows them to make that choice. Whereas in the United States, at least, we're not given a choice. The, the choice is work <laughs> or starve. Uh, and sometimes it's both. It's work and starve. The article that I read doesn't mention this, but I actually wonder whether families in the Netherlands benefit from some sort of public assistance. You know, in, in other words, that their lives are subsidized so that they don't have to work full-time, both parents. This has been the Positive Media Diet podcast, uh, and we have discussed seven positive news stories from the previous week. Join me next time when I discuss another seven positive news stories. Find me on Twitter at at PauseMediaDiet. That's at P-O-S Media Diet. Visit my website at PositiveMediaDiet.com. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And you can check out uh, my other podcast, which is Park Sounds. Half an hour of just listening to sitting in a park on a Saturday morning. It's lovely. Mm-hmm.